what I've uh, resorted to doing is when they call, I, uh, uh, whether it's a man or a woman, because I get both, and they're from India predominantly, and um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I, I've decided that I'm going to attack their conscience. That's what I'm going to do. And so I say to him, I said, I said, I just want to ask you a question. How do you live with yourself every day? And I just talk, I don't give them a chance. Doing what you're doing. I said, you get up in the morning, you spend the whole day, you ring people, you lie after lie after lie after lie to deceive and rip people, try and rip people's money. Because these people are doing it as a job. You know, they're like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organised uh, crime thing. But they're just doing it as a job. And I say, how can you live with yourself and go to bed at night and then get up in the morning and just do that? And, and, I, and one person got so agitated, I won't repeat what they said to me, but I knew that I had reached the conscience. I knew that I had gotten deep down there and it provoked uh, her and in which she uh, said words, were nasty words to me and I couldn't stop laughing. Because I, I, I laughed because I, I actually, in doing what I did, I wasn't expecting that reaction, but I understood why that reaction came. And so that kind of illustrates uh, what I want to deal with this morning because I want to uh, minister from the Word of God and I want to look at uh, what is the title of my sermon, is Reaching the Conscience. And so maybe you can try that next time you get that phone call. But... Um, in relation to the kingdom of God, in relation to the Bible, in relation to life, we have to learn as, as ministers of God's word, as people who preach the word of God, who share the gospel, we have to learn the art, I guess if you want to call it, of reaching the conscience. Because this is critical, it is important. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said that this is one of the greatest needs of the common era in which we're living in today because it's a lost art because for, uh, for various reasons as we will consider. But we have to learn by the, and, and by, by the Spirit of God to reach the conscience so that people can be pricked and can be convicted because the reality is, is people know what's right and wrong deep down. And there's reasons for that because God has given us a conscience. People have an innate sense of what is right and wrong if they are honest with themselves. And so it is, uh, it is in light of that the, the Word of God finds its application. Uh, now we all know, but for those that don't, conscience means uh, with knowledge. Con, science, with knowledge. And so in this context we have a conscience because we know what is fundamentally right and wrong. Especially when you're growing up as a little kid and uh, you, know, you begin to test the waters and you know the heart of rebellion and disobedience and we like to disobey instructions but we know what it is to prick the conscience. We know in life why do you think people have so many problems in life because they bear the, the consequence of guilt and shame. This is all connected to the conscience because if you live by the conscience or violate the conscience to, and, and other aspects, then uh, it, it all plays itself out within your life. And so to be with conscience, to be with knowledge, but it's reaching the conscience. 
In Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, and the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. They know it's wrong. That's why we have the issues, of the moral issues of our day that are raging and, uh, in relation to the world around us and same-sex marriage and transgenderism and every other moral issue that has been utterly... Dis- the foundations of morality are being destroyed. But God... But you know what? In men's rebellion against God, they are without excuse because they suppress the truth and they know innately what's right. They just rebel against it and defy God. And so the conscience has to be awakened. The conscience has to be awakened and we have to learn through the word of God to reach the conscience as Leonard Ravenhill, the great preacher and revivalist preacher, has declared. So let's look at this and we'll use this as a launching pad and we'll get back to it later but let's look firstly at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11. Speaking of Christ, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, nor with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So here we have that which relates to the Old Testament and that which relates to the sacrificial system and we'll get to that a little later but I first want to consider with you the searing of the conscience. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 you'll begin to see that there is a principle that's being highlighted by the Apostle Paul and he says in verse 2 of 1 Timothy In verse 1, he says, For the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, in the end days, we're in the end times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Seared with a hot iron. You see, this illustrates the sensitivity of the conscience and how through various actions of ours, it is possible to sear the conscience and the expression here is as with a hot iron, to sear the conscience because this is the problem. It's possible to silence, it's possible to scar, it's possible to deaden the conscience to such a point that it becomes seared and inactive. And really we're seeing that in the world around us in so many various ways. In the book of Proverbs, it says, Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? 
Or in other words, can you defy your conscience and live a life of continual disobedience and violate not only God's law of truth but that which has internally been put in you and not sear your conscience, not deaden your conscience? Well, the truth is is that you absolutely can and you absolutely will. And that's how this works. I mean, do you remember when you were young and you first did something wrong and that voice in your head was so loud that it was screaming at you, wasn't it? You know, it's like, I get caught, I'm in you know, because the conscience is like screaming. But, you know, after you violate the conscience once and the second time, hmm, that was a little bit easier. And then it slowly the progression comes and then all of a sudden you can do it and you don't even flinch. It's not even bothering you. It doesn't bother you anymore because uh, you are in the process uh, of searing uh, the conscience. In our text, the word, uh, not in a text, in, in 1 Timothy where it says sear, sear the conscience, the, the word literally means uh, to brand, to cauterize, to render unsensitive or sear with a hot iron. Or in other words, to scar. Into, that means to score, scorch the surface, to make callous. This is what is happening when this conscience is being seared. If I was to get a hot iron and I was to put that on your arm, you would scream. But you see, once uh, it is... Once it sears and deadens the nerves and cuts through, it dis- and I was to pinch it or even put something hot, you would go, don't even feel it. That's what it's talking about. Sear the consciences with a hot iron. So now they're not, they're not pricked in their heart. They're not bothered. They don't, uh, they're not flinching at things that are so morally, ethically, fundamentally wrong against God in their rebellion against Him, in their disobedience to His Word and to His truth. And this is the reality that we're dealing with in this generation. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, This I say, Therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness and to work all uncleanness. See, in other words, what we're seeing here is uh, Paul says, who being past feeling. In other words, they have reached a point in their darkness and in their rebellion and in their life where they are not moved uh, and, and care not. That's what the, and in actual fact, the word also is rooted to apathy. They care not. They're not interested. It doesn't prick them anymore. They have no no concern for these matters and they live and conduct themselves in such a way that they are in rebellion and in violation of God. In the New Living Translation, we, we read it says, who being past feeling, it says they have no sense of shame. And really, that's where we've come to, isn't it? No sense of shame. And it's a shame when you get to that point where there's no sense of shame. I found this illustration, and I'm going to read it to you. It's, uh, it's a bit of a you know, quirky one, but it illustrates the point of where we've come to 
And, uh, and, and also, if you consider our psychiatry and psychological so-called professionalism that we have in the world. But this typifies it when, uh, through this illustration. Let me read it to you. It says, One is reminded of a man who every time he went to a friend's home was offered a drink of water, would throw the contents in the host's face. After this happened several times, the bewildered friend said, do me a favour and go to a psychiatrist. I'm not going to allow you back into my house until you've cured yourself of this outrageous habit. Having heard the men... Uh, hearing, the, so hearing that the man had been in intensive psychotherapy for six months, his friend invited him to dinner again. The hostess was a bit weary, but when she put some water at his place setting, and sure enough, in the middle of the meal, he suddenly threw the whole glass of water into the hostess's face. I've never been so humiliated in my life, she exclaimed. This is a new dress, it can only be dry cleaned and now you've ruined it. The apologetic guest explained, I've been under intense psychotherapy for six months and the psychiatrist said I was cured. Cured? You must be crazy. I am cured. I used to feel horrible about doing this, but now he's explained why I do it. I don't feel guilty anymore. <laughs> you know, it does. So, and then it goes on to say, psychologists want to create a guilt-free world where no one is ever at fault. And that's what we're dealing with. And these are professionals. And they've infiltrated our system and they're targeting our children. They want to tell them. They're social engineering. They want to tell them what's right, what's wrong and the issues that we're dealing with today. And I've got to say to you, we need to be uh, contending earnestly, amen, not just for the faith but for the truth of God's world in the world that we live in. Because... uh, we have so many, you know, the defence defense attorneys always plead for their clients. He couldn't help himself. So they want to uh, uh, address this issue that we're living guilt-free. You don't have to feel bad for doing that. You only have to feel bad if you stand up and say, like, you know, uh, someone like us for saying that's wrong or speaking the truth or because we're not being politically correct or whatever the case may be. And so we're the haters, we're the ones that are intolerant, but I tell you now, the tolerance goes, intolerance goes two ways. Last I understood, we live in a free society with free speech. And so uh, we, I'm happy to address these particular issues, but what we're seeing is that our, our children, as, as in, from, the, from when they start kindergarten, are being engineered and conditioned in a certain way through the system and so by the time they get into the teenagers, they've got no sense of shame. Their conscience is utterly already seared. And we're living, and then they wonder why, and then we've got so much more professionals and psychologists, but we've got our our mental issues skyrocketing on a level and they're saying, what's going on? Well, read your Bible and you'll understand it completely. And so this is where we're, where we're at. And, you, and I've spoken to people and there's no sense of shame anymore. People can just live according to their own lusts and their pleasures and their desires and flaunt them rebellion against God. We have it now in our Mardi Gras where they... I heard just recently that the <coughs> individual who set the um, design you know, for the, the, the Mardi Gras, the, the rainbow that they, uh, that they use... 
You know, he died recently and whatever else, but, you know, what an act of defiance against God because what, what the rainbow represents scripturally. And so no guilt, no shame, but a defiance and a hate and a rebellion against God that is scary to say the least. See, we're talking about serious issues here because the Bible says that when it's appointed for a person to die once, then comes the judgment. We're talking about people who are going to stand before God and we're talking about hell, folks. We're talking about eternal punishment. This is very serious issues. And we have a generation that is, uh, 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 has seared its conscience. So let's look secondly on how do we reach the conscience. If that's the case, which it is, how do we reach the conscience? Well, firstly, we have to understand it's through the Word of God and it's through the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because these are the mechanisms in which God has provided to uh, achieve this. I mean, we're his voice. We're his, we preach the gospel. God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to, uh, uh, to achieve his ends. But you see, as we preach the word of God, the word of God is, does, it does its job. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, he convicts the world of sin. Convicts the world of sin. In other words, he wants, the God's intent is to awaken the conscience so that mankind would have a sense of shame and guilt before a holy God. But we're living, not us in a generation, we're living in a church age where this is avoided at all costs because we don't want people to feel bad. We don't want them to feel uncomfortable. But yet, scripturally speaking, they must. You see, I understand we need to be preaching the love of God. Absolutely. God is love and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves you. Why were we yet sinners? God, uh, Jesus died for us. The gospel is based on God's love for mankind but and his holiness uh, and his justice. Uh, the Bible says uh, that God is angry with the wicked every day. God hates sin. God will judge sin. And you can read the Bible and see it for yourself, what we're dealing with and what's coming. The Bible says in Ephesians again, to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And that means uh, that we are to reprove them and that word reprove means to tell them their fault. You see, this is, this is, this is, comp this is complex because you know, this is the very thing that people want to avoid. Don't say that, don't tell them they're wrong or don't say that because you know what, hurt, their feelings will be hurt that's, that, then that's what the Bible is seeking, God is seeking to achieve. He wants to awaken their conscience. He wants to reach, the, in reaching the conscience, he wants the guilt and the shame to come to the surface. So man is humbled and broken and, and submits himself to God. But you see, we're talking about reaching the conscience. There's a saying, it says, law to the proud and grace to the humble. And sometimes you have to use the law of God in such a way that you have to break down the pride and arrogance of mankind because they have sinned against God's law. That's what sin is, is this transgression of God's law. The Bible says without, uh, by the law becomes, comes the knowledge of sin. So you can use the law of God to, in such a way to penetrate, to hit hard. And, and when you do this, you get all types of reactions, don't you? When you do it on the streets, people get annoyed, they get frustrated, they yell out, they re people react because we, we stand up and we declare the word of God. 
See, the gospel exposes men's hearts like nothing else. You can read the book of Acts. What I find interesting is when you read the book of Acts and you see the the sermons that are being preached, whether it was from Peter or Stephen, you see that under the divine unction and inspiration of God and the manner in which they speak, it's interesting. And how Peter will preach on that and he says, whom you crucified. Oh, that's why the Bible says they were cut to the heart. He reached the conscience. Whom you crucified. Or Stephen, when he preaches and he says, you stiff-necked and rebellious. Well, where's that? Where's love in there? Did I see it? You see, and yet the Bible says that they they were pricked, they were convicted. He reached the conscience and then they took up stones and the Bible says they gnashed at him with their teeth and they killed him. Whoa, heavy stuff, isn't it? But you see, he fulfilled exactly what God had ordained him to do. And God empowered him and anointed him and he preached and he reached the conscience of the people. They continued to harden and rebel, which is obviously quite possible. But then there are others who will humble themselves and soften their heart and come to the Lord in repentance. You're following me, amen. You have the issue of the woman in adult who was caught in adultery in John's Gospel, chapter 8. And uh, you know the story is they've caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And the Pharisees are, are wanting to test Jesus and so they're ready. They know what the law states. Anyone caught in adultery has to be put to death. And so they come to Jesus and here it is. What are you going to do, Jesus? And the Bible says that Jesus looks to the ground and he starts writing. Now there's debate about what he's writing but some would say he was writing the Ten Commandments. Or, and he could have very well been because he looks after he writes, he looks up and he says, he who is without sin, you throw the first stone. Now, and the Bible says that each one was convicted in their conscience and one by one they put their stones down and they all went away. See, Jesus was able to reach the conscience. And, and then Jesus says to her, go, uh, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. But you see, the art of reaching the conscience, this is important here in the way in which we are to bring the word of God and the process of salvation and so forth. People have to be cut to the heart. You know, when a, when a person's conscience is seared, you can sometimes reason, you know, usually they're proud in that instance, and you can talk and be your sweet, but for the most part, you're not, not penetrating. That's why the Bible says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces. It pierces, divides into soul and spirit. And so when you use the word of God and the law of God, you know what you're doing? You're taking the sword and you're jabbing it with love and for the most part. But under the anointing of God and under the inspiration of God and with the boldness and confidence that the Spirit of God gives us, we take the Word of God and when you speak it and apply it to people's lives, you 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 are penetrating. And the aim is to reach the conscience. The Spirit of God will take the Word of God and penetrate deep into the person's heart. 
And my prayer is that God would help us to do this this morning. My prayer is that we would understand how to do it through the Word of God because what we need in this generation is we need people to be uh, under the conviction of sin. They need the fear of God to grip uh, this generation. You know, if you study church history, they talk about a period of revival that took place and they call it the Great Awakening. Why was it the Great Awakening? Because it started when... Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God and the congregation was so convicted that they began to call upon God from fear of their lives because their conscience was reached and they were convicted by the Spirit of God. And so again, these are illustrations of how this works. And I have to say that one of the problems with modern Christianity is it's failing in its responsibility before God to minister on this level. Can you say amen? So many, in so many ways, this is being avoided. But yet it is the means by which God brings us to himself. You see, there's a searing of the conscience. There's now the issue that relates to reaching the conscience. So why is it that we seek to reach the conscience? is so that one can feel the guilt and shame of their sin before God and be humbled and humble themselves before the Lord. And this is what I want to look at lastly with you, is cleansing the conscience. Because this is what the gospel is all about. And this is what our text is about in Hebrews 11, uh, uh, sorry, Hebrews 9 that we just uh, uh, considered a moment ago. I mean, you could go back there in our text. Because we're dealing with some important things. See, when Jesus, uh, when everyone was convicted in their conscience and they all walked away, Jesus looked at the woman that was caught in adultery and she would have felt utterly ashamed being right there at that moment. And Jesus says, hasn't anyone condemned you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, What cleanses the conscience, amen, is the forgiveness of God. God's forgiveness that he can take us in a state where we are so corrupted by sin, we have transgressed his law, we have done things that we are ashamed of, we have done things that maybe no one else knows about. And yet in all the guilt and shame that we can understand that God can not only forgive us but cleanse the conscience clean. Thank God, this is the gospel. The reason why we want people to feel bad for their sin is because they can feel good when it's forgiven. When they can understand that, uh, what God, the provision that God has made. And, the, and, and another way, we're going to look at the cleansing of the conscience in a, in a moment, but also uh, Jesus said, go and sin no more. That's the key. Go and sin no more. You have to repent, confess and forsake your sin. Go and sin no more. That's why, uh, that's why people who live habitually like this are in danger of, for themselves and uh, because of the uh, impact that it has upon the human mind and the human spirit when you know the light and you sin against the light in an habitual sense. In the long term, this can cause people problems. But having said that, let's, let's move on. You see, we want people to come to the cross broken. 
understanding that they are sinners who have transgressed God's law, that they need the forgiveness of God, that they need the cleansing of God to have their sins forgiven. And, and we know this, we sing it all the time in church, I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. See, when we talk about forgiveness, you have to understand why that forgiveness is offered. You see, the forgiveness is free on our behalf, but it costs God everything to provide it. And the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ is what purchases our salvation. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ, amen, that cleanses the conscience clean that washes us from our sin, hallelujah, and that we can be pure and holy and righteous in the sight of God on the basis of what Christ has done for us at Calvary, that you can have nowhere else but only in Christ. Amen. Every religion in the world cannot offer what Christ offers. And not only did he, does he offer it, he purchased it, hallelujah. He purchased it by laying down his own life and by going to the cross and suffering brutally and, and shedding his blood and then rose from the dead and then he offers us, us to us and there we see his love. So let's look at our text again. Let's read verse 11 of chapter 9. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. We understand that. We're not talking about that which is uh, in, in relation to the old covenant. It says, not with the blood of goats as related to the old covenant, not with and calves, but with his own blood. His own blood, he entered the most holy place, not in a tabernacle or a temple, but in heaven itself after he uh, died for us. He t that blood was presented on the altar, hallelujah, and in heaven, and, and here we have it, he obtained eternal redemption. Verse 12. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now let's just stop there for a moment. I want to look at the ashes of a heifer because this is the provision under the law uh, of Moses in the Old Testament by which, uh, that related to the laws of purification that it was, the, it was that which related to the red heifer that has its application for the cleansing of the conscience. In, some, in similar ways in which the lamb uh, we speak about the lamb and so forth, but it's important for us to note this. Maybe we can go to uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 19. Numbers, chapter 19, if we can go there in the word of God because I want to bring it to your attention and show you prophetically as well how this relates to Christ. It says in verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded having or saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. This is the standard and the qualification of this offering unto God, the red heifer. And there's much that obviously that relates to all of this but I just want to highlight the, the, that which relates to what we're speaking about here. And it says in verse 
3. You shall give it to, uh, to Eleazar the priest uh, that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. We know Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13, where was Jesus crucified? Outside the camp. He was outside the camp. And in the same way the red heifer was to be taken outside the camp and was to be killed. And then the, the, the blood of that red heifer was to be taken. In the same way that Christ went outside the camp in Hebrews 13 and he was crucified and he shed his blood in the same manner. Let's continue. It says in verse 4, And Eliezer shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. This is the blood of Christ symbolic of that which is in heaven where Jesus, uh, amen, took into the, not the, to the place that was made with hands but the heavenly sanctuary, praise the Lord. Then the heifer shall be burnt Verse 5, then the heifer shall be burnt in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood and its offal shall be burned. See, this talks about the consummation of, uh, 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 of uh, being utterly consumed in this sacrifice. And we understand that Christ, amen, he fulfilled exactly that in which he allowed himself to be brutally uh, beaten and that he, he, he humbled himself to the point of death. His, his appearance was marred more than any other man. He was beaten, he was ridiculed, he was abused, uh, and they physically, uh, and to the point where he bled and he died as he hung upon that cross. Then in verse 6, it says, And the priest shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. This is in relation to the heifer and how it works. Now, the, we understand again, biblically speaking, the priest shall take cedar wood, cedar wood being symbolic of the cross, that Christ would be offered on the cross. Then it says, and the, and the hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Now, think about this because hyssop was also symbolic for us. Hyssop has to do with the application of of the blood. Hyssop being a, um, uh, a herb or a plant of uh, uh, some, some form and in which the blood of the heifer is put onto the hyssop and applied in the same way they did it at the Passover when in Egypt when God said sacrifice the lamb and take the blood and by, by use of hyssop they would apply the blood to the doorpost so that when the angel of death come it would pass over. And so the use of hyssop here has to do with an application of the blood. And so we have Christ hung on a cross. We have Christ who shed his blood. Amen. But the blood now has to be applied into our lives if we are going to be cleansed and we're going to be forgiven. And then we have the issue of scarlet that's part of this sacrifice and scarlet is symbolic of our sins where God says in Isaiah chapter 1, though your sins are red like scarlet. And so the stain of sin uh, that is, uh, is there, and it's a picture of Christ, amen, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away our sins. And so here you have the whole issue of the red heifer being uh, typified here and it all points to Christ and what he did at Calvary and so this is what the, the writer of Hebrews is picking up on and he's highlighting these things. Now let's go back to Hebrews 9 because now let's read again uh, where it says in verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh under the law, 
and to the law of purification, it served its purpose in that context. But you see, it only did it in an outward sense. You know, they were sinners, they were condemned and guilty before God and they had the sacrificial system there to try and con- in which they had to consistently make atonement. But it never dealt with the fundamental issue, but Jesus did, amen. And in doing so, the application of his blood goes a lot deeper uh, than just some outward thing. But the scripture says, look at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, in the same way that the heifer had to be without spot, without spot, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know what the beauty of this church is that your conscience can and is cleansed by God. I, I tell you, I can't change the memories that I have and neither can you. When I live the life of sin and rebellion against God, I can, certain things I can, are there, they're there. I, the memory of them I can't erase. But I tell you what, the, the sting of those memories are no more. Because I am a new creation in Christ. I am washed in the blood. My conscience has been cleansed from dead works. And though I can reflect upon those things and I, I, I'm saddened, uh, uh, but the, in terms of the guilt and the shame, I don't have to live with that any longer. Amen. I am free. I have been cleansed from dead works and so I can go forward in a confidence and a joy because of what Christ has done for me. Oh, what a gospel, church. I couldn't stand here today and do what I do if it wasn't for the blood of Christ that has cleansed my conscience clean so that I can, from dead works, so I can serve the living God with liberty. I don't have to live with shame and guilt for the my rest of my life. I don't have to take it to the grave. How many people take their guilt and shame to the grave? And in the longevity of time, the, the burden of sin and life, you see it weigh down people. You know what I'm talking about? But not for the Christian, amen. Because we, we, we live in the new covenant. We live in, we're in Christ. It's so much different for us. You have to understand this. This is how it relates to the gospel of our salvation. But I also want to just consider one other aspect before I close, and that which relates to uh, the, the issue of sanctification, because there's a process of this as well. If you just go with me to First John, First John chapter one, because there's a, there's a corporate and, an, and a personal aspect of the cleansing power of God's blood so that even if we sin we still amen can be cleansed that God not only has made provision for our salvation praise the Lord but even as a child of God serving God and uh, who may stumble or fall into sin or has has grieved God or sinned against God God has still made that provision in this sense uh, in that in a corporate and personal sense. And I want to look at the corporate aspect first. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, listen to what it says. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all 
sin. There is a corporate cleansing that comes when we are dwelling together in unity, when we are walking in the light. Are you perfect? Are I perfect? Are we, the, the closer we get to each other, the more ugly it looks. <laughs> but you see, when we walk in love, when we walk in the light, and we ourselves are uh, uh, conducting ourselves as we ought to, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There is a purifying provision in this sense. But then it goes on to say in the personal application in verse 9, maybe you, you have sinned because the Bible says in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So let's not go that far, okay? The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, so if we have sinned, then the, the way and your conscience is, has, is convicted. Do you know how you get your conscience clean? You confess your sin to God. That's all you confess it and confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. See, there's a, there's, there's a dimension here of confession that relates to cleansing. And the scripture says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Thank God for this because I tell you, we all need it. What about the weak conscience? I won't go too much into this, but we can have a weak conscience. Bible talks about this and there are various reasons that relate to it but without going too much but I learned this too because I was a period in my life earlier on where I think I suffered from a weak conscience where you know okay I'm forgiven but why do I still feel condemned you ever felt ever had that and so you, you it's like your conscience is not fully responding the way that it should you know it still wants to condemn you but yet you know we understand by faith these these truths but again in 1 John it's touched upon. Go there in chapter 3. It says, verse 19, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. You know, sometimes the Christians living under this dark cloud, uh, you know, just like, no, I don't really feel forgiven. Forget how you feel. When you get to that point, when you've done what you had to do, when you've made confession, when you've got it right, when you've fulfilled and ordered your conduct right, then by faith you must rejoice. I don't feel it. Well, who cares how you feel? We don't live by feelings. We live by faith. But you see, that's why if, 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 if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence. That's what faith is, is a confidence in God. And so uh, I can be assured that despite my sin, despite my failure, I've confessed, I've got it right, and I can get up and go out that door, and I can have the victory. That's how it works. But God's greater than our hearts, the Scripture says, in this context. There is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. If you walk according to the flesh, you're going to have a sense of condemnation. How do you get rid of it? Uh, the Scripture says there's no condemnation. No, stop walking in the flesh and then you won't have the condemnation. <laughs> walk in the Spirit. And, and, and then as you begin to walk in truth, 
uh, you will begin to reap the rewards or the, uh, the, the fruits of these things. But you've got to understand the cross, church. You know, when we come to the cross, we leave everything at the cross. When you confess sin, when, you, when we get it right before God, we leave it at the cross. And we get up and we walk away and our, we are free from our burden. We have liberty in Christ Jesus. Praise ye the Lord. Let me close with this one last scripture. and Go back to Hebrews 10, verse 22. I want to read this because it captures it so well. Verse 21, or we could read the whole thing, but I don't want to go there. Just verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God. That's it. Jesus is our high priest. Amen. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, if you can understand that, then you can, in full assurance, full assurance, full confidence, yes, we're not worthy. Yes, we don't deserve it. But when you understand God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and you by faith attach yourself and, and lay a hold of that, amen, you can come in confidence and a full assurance of faith and, uh, and having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, Amen. And so that all of a sudden our conscience cannot condemn us any longer. Praise the Lord. So there's the issue of searing the conscience, reaching the conscience, and cleansing the conscience. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this morning for the word of God that has come to us. Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you, Lord. I know, we know what it is to see the conscience. We know what it is to bear guilt and shame. But God, you in your love and mercy, you have made provision through Christ. You have, Lord, shed your blood on Calvary. And that blood cleanses our conscience clean and from dead work so that we can serve the living God. Thank you, Lord, for its provision and salvation and our sanctification. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Are you assured? Good. God bless you all.